Hi, and welcome to this edition of the Lightkeepers podcast. I'm Clayton Vandiver, your Lightkeeper, with the show dedicated to everyone who wants to get the most out of life that they can. We don't talk about the end of life. We talk about the quality of life. My co-host on this episode, Charlene, a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Florida, is going to be talking with us today about palliative care. Hospice, it isn't just for the end of days. It isn't just for the last few hours. And that's going to be very, very interesting to learn more about. Also, we're going to be talking about... Advanced directives. Advanced directives on this edition of the Lightkeepers podcast. Before we start, I'd like to invite you to please leave your questions or comments below. We love to hear from you, and every week we answer those questions and comments that appear online every Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern. And last week we had a question, Charlene, from one of our uh, from one of our listeners. It was on one of our RSS feeds. We're on every podcast feed for audio and also on YouTube for video. But we had someone send in a question, and it was about, what was our subject last week? Uh, Last week, it was about DNR. DNR. They were asking what, if we would define frail, how frail do you have to be for DNR not to be, uh, well, to be considered? So frail can have a lot of different definitions depending on where you are in life but most of the time in the medical world when we're talking about frail we're talking about someone who has a compromised immune system someone who is frequently sick a lot of hospitalizations someone whose body is not strong enough to be able to withstand um, something that can be as violent as cpr I understand. We talked a lot about the uh, measures that happen when you don't have a DNR in place and the most ideal times to have them. And being frail is certainly one of them. I hope that helps you and your loved one. And of course, please send those questions and comments to us because that dialogue, that communication is exactly how we can help you the best. Of course, this is just a conversation. Go to your own personal care, personal medical team, uh, financial advisors, Whoever it is that helps you and knows your particular needs the best, that's who you actually need to seek counsel from. We just put ideas in your head to be thinking about so that you know the right questions to ask when the time comes. The Lightkeepers podcast is an exclusive production of A Guiding Light Incorporated. We'll tell you more about A Guiding Light at the end of the show, but we don't have much time. We want to get right into uh, palliative care, hospice, all of the things that we are talking about this week in a sort of a free-flowing conversation, so we're not sure where this is going to take us. Tell us more about the difference between palliative care and hospice. So there is a difference, and that's something that a lot of people don't realize. Um, Palliative care is when you have an illness that can be considered terminal, can be considered life-limiting, but you're not ready to stop treatment yet. 
So when you have someone who is in palliative care, this is someone who wants to be comfortable, wants to focus on relieving those symptoms, but also wants to continue receiving treatment and, you know, not ready to go to hospice yet. And hospice is basically where you're focused on managing the symptoms, focusing on being comfortable, and you've stopped treatment. You've made that decision that you don't want the chemotherapy anymore. You don't want the radiation anymore. And you just want to basically make the best of the time that you have. I understand. Well, you receive hospice care. Most people assume, I believe, that you just go in for the last few days or last few hours of your life. That is so true. That is so true. And it's such a sad assumption because there's so many people out there that could be receiving better care and their families could be receiving better support if they had known that hospice was for more than just the last few days. What other sort of services does hospice provide? Well, your basic hospice team usually includes a physician, Mm -hmm. uh, someone Mm -hmm. who is signing the orders for you to get the medication that you need. Um, It includes a nurse, someone who comes out uh, to check on you and make sure that the medications that you're being prescribed are working. Okay. Um, and yeah. it includes a CNA, an aide, someone who comes out and helps with your personal care needs like bathing and shampooing. Um, there's also a social worker that makes sure that your family is being well supported and making sure that there are no gaps in resources. And then there's usually also a chaplain, some sort of spiritual support, if desired by the family. Well, of course, this sort of begs the question, how early then could someone become into the hospice care system so that they could receive? So I know a lot of folks, a lot of caregivers, a lot of families are concerned with where do they find a lot of these services that you just mentioned? And they could be provided for them, but how early, how soon, and when do you qualify? So in the United States, in order to meet the criteria to be eligible for hospice, you have to have a terminal diagnosis. This means a diagnosis that with or without treatment is going to cause the end of your life within six months or less. And that has to be certified by two different physicians. Well, six months is a lot longer time than most people that I've spoken with know that they could get into the hospice system and receive all of those those helps, those uh, assistances. Correct. Most people who come onto hospice services um, come onto hospice services within the last month of their life. And that's five more months that they could have been receiving better symptom management, better care, and their family could have been receiving better support. Well, one very interesting um, piece of trivia that I've stumbled across, a lot of folks tell me that when a family member goes into hospice, they actually begin to get a little bit better. They do. How does that work? That can happen. That can happen. And there's, there's actually a lot of different reasons behind it. So let's Say, for example, you have someone with a diagnosis of cancer, which cancer is a very common diagnosis that leads to hospice care. It's a major malady that many families share. So you have someone who's been going through chemotherapy. They've been going through radiation. Mm -hmm. They've been in intense pain. They've been sick. So 
they've been in this situation where they've been struggling and they've been fighting and they're worn down and then they enter hospice. There's no more chemotherapy. There's no more radiation. There's no more hospitalizations where someone's coming in every 15 minutes to poke you, to prod you, to monitor you, to inject you with something. You're at home. You're being given medication to alleviate the pain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you're allowed to be comfortable and rest. So basically the things that were making the greatest impact on your life and wearing down your reserve strengths uh, are all alleviated and you're just there to rest, relax, and be pain-free as much as is possible. Correct. And a lot of times when people hear that, they, they jump to the other end of the spectrum in assumptions, which is that hospice kills people. And that's not true. Mm. Um, that is actually fueled by the fact that most people enter hospice at the very end. They're already at the end of their life, so they come on hospice, and within a few weeks they die. And so people think, oh, hospice killed them. Well, no, truth is they were just going through the natural progression of their illness. They were already there. And Correct. They were simply taken there as the Normally in hospice support, the mm -hmm. doctor, the hospice physician, will start someone off on the smallest dose of medication, and then they will only increase it as needed to control the symptoms. Medication to alleviate pain. Pain. Okay. Uh, pain, shortness of breath, anxiety, which can be a common okay. issue at end yeah. of life. Um, but so these, all of these are comforting mm -hmm. factors. They're things that cause you to relax and, and not feel whatever else. What, others, what sort of pain can you feel, let's say, if you're dying of cancer? So cancer can cause a lot of pains depending on the type of cancer. Yeah. You can have tumors that are growing into tissue that's causing pain. You can have nerve damage, which is very painful. Okay. Um, probably one of the most painful uh, cancers is when it infiltrates the bone. When you have bone cancer, that can be very painful. So before we run out of time tonight, let's go back and talk about those advanced directives that we mentioned at the top of the show. What are those? How do they play into all this? So advanced directives are documents that people draft to outline what type of medical treatment they would want should they become seriously ill and in a situation where they can no longer make their own medical decisions. Okay. It's kind of like speaking for yourself before you're in the situation where you need to speak for yourself. Ah, because once they're in the care, oftentimes their ability to communicate may be diminished, may be eliminated. Correct. So you need some form of document or legal form. Well, how legal are these forms, these advanced directives? So advanced directives come in a lot of variations. Um, there's a lot of different documents that are circulating out there and of course they're the basic kind that you can download off the internet. As long as it is signed and witnessed and notarized it can be considered legally binding. Um, there is a document called the Five Wishes which is legally binding in 48 states and that one is probably the most common and it's a very simplified document which basically just covers three scenarios, would you or would you not want life support in those situations? Mm -hmm. um, and advanced directives like that, including advanced directives drafted by attorneys, oftentimes will focus purely on end-of-life situations, do you or do you not want life support? And these documents can, they're great to have, yeah. but they can be a little lacking for one simple reason. What's that? They don't talk about 
when you would want those to become items active. to become active. So most people think not until I can no longer make my own decisions. Okay, so you do not want life support if you have no quality of life. Right. Who defines quality of life? It, everyone has their own quality of life definition internally, but it's communicating is, that to others that, that we run into the challenge. Quality of life is very subjective, and that's yes. why I always recommend yes. anyone who has advanced directives, it's wonderful to state, no, I do not want care, or yes, I do want care, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's also important to identify that unless. Yes, I want life support unless there's no hope of recovery. No, I don't uh. want life support unless there's a chance that I can recover back to this level of quality of life. What does quality of life look like? That's an important item to define. So before making these sorts of documents or these sorts of decisions, that's one of the things that I guess our listeners and our viewers really need to think about a little bit and work on defining for themselves. This might be something that families and caregivers Absolutely. can be involved with. That's an open conversation. It's not necessarily a comfortable conversation. No, a lot of people don't want to talk about right. it. And uh, it is an important conversation to have, though, because advanced directives are great to have in place, but you have to know that your loved ones are going to follow those advanced directives when you can mm -hmm. no longer speak for yourself. Of course, of course. Well, we know now a little bit more about advanced directives, about hospice, that it's not just for those last few days. It has resources that can help as far out as six months. Is that true in every state? So, yes, that is across the United States. Okay. Six months or less is the standard. Um, now, there is another part of that. I don't want people to think that... Um, just because they're in hospice, it means that they are going to die within six months. I actually had a patient uh, when I was working at an inpatient unit for hospice. I had a patient ask me when he was going to die. And I <laughs> gave him a brief look over and I checked the bottom of his feet and I said, no, it's not here. And he said, what's well, not there? I said, an expiration date. We don't know. We don't know when our time is up. Of course. And I have seen people that were on hospice for over a year. Over a year they were receiving hospice support because their health continued to decline, but it declined slowly. Ah. And for a year they were able to get the benefit of hospice support for them and their families. And everyone's situation is, is a little different. bit different. That's why we say that... This is, uh, it's all a highly personal choice. No conversation that we have on the Lightkeepers podcast should ever take the place of your own medical care, at your own medical care team, your personal advisor, who should always be consulted by you on your specific individual needs. Correct. But people should not be afraid to advocate for themselves if it's something they feel particularly strongly about. And I can give you a wonderful example of this, a personal example. Okay. Um, my father had lung cancer, and he had already had part of one lung removed, mm -hmm. and they found cancer in the other lung. And he didn't want any more surgeries, and he didn't want to do the, the cancer treatment. He wanted hospice so he could be comfortable 
and actually have a decent quality of life for his remaining time. And his physician refused to sign the order. It does require a medical order to get into hospice, to start hospice care. Mm-hmm. His physician refused it, would not sign the order for him to receive hospice care unless he was willing to go through chemotherapy first to give it a try. And we had to fight that. And we did end up having to go to the surgeon who Mm -hmm. had done the uh, lung removal, the lobectomy, to get that order signed so that he could receive hospice support. A lot of doctors are so focused on saving lives and preserving life that they're not willing to give up. And they do so with the best of in, of intentions. They really do mean well. They of want course. to to keep their patient alive, but that may not be what the patient wants. Right. And of course, from a social work perspective, that's exactly what you do. You advocate for that patient's rights and give them their options so that they can make the best decision for themselves. And that's what we try to do right here on the Lightkeepers podcast. Of course, it's always good to talk about the quality of life and events because every single one of us is likely to go through some of these events at some point in our lives, either not prepared at all or very well prepared indeed. From watching us and joining us here on the Lightkeepers podcast each and every Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern. We hope you found some information that was helpful On this edition of the Lightkeepers podcast, please leave your questions and comments below. We love to hear from you each week. The Lightkeepers podcast is an exclusive production of Animation Studios and is brought to you by A Guiding Light, a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to education and information that allows informed preparation for living the very best life possible. The mission of A Guiding Light is to provide education about life planning, guidance, and counseling that eases an individual's transition and guides them and their family regardless of their ability to pay through options that improve the quality of their remaining days. The organization is committed to training professionals who will help you find the best information and options to meet your planning needs that are available in your area so you can be aware of your choices, confident in your decisions, and at peace that you have made the very best decisions to live life your way. For more information on A Guiding Light, please visit the website at aguidinglight.org or to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit the donation page on the website where you'll find tax information and the address to send a check, which is also on the screen right below me. We still have so much more great information to bring you in the coming weeks. We hope you'll join us. And your questions and comments, we always love to hear from you. Speaking of that, hit the like and subscribe button right now while you're thinking about it. Turn on that notify bell so you'll catch every single episode. I'm Clayton Vandiver, the Lightkeeper. We'll see you then.